Today we're going to reinforce mindfulness of intention, as J.D. shared yesterday. So uh, just to say a little bit about intention, uh, some language that might be helpful. Uh, In our tradition, this one word intention sometimes means a couple of layers of intention. So just to differentiate some of what we're tracking when we track intention, if you have a long goal intention, like I'm walking down to lunch, you know, one of those big things that defines you (laughs) and that chapter of your life. So that whole time you're having that intention you don't have to kind of keep repeating it to stay on track. This mind is quite brilliant and it will get the idea we're heading to lunch. And in the background, most of your actions will be living out that intention. So sometimes we use intention on a large arc, uh, like my, the intentions that brought you here to the retreat. When I'm, people have gotten a little confused about the other way we use intention, which is right in the moment that sparks an action. So intention rose right in that moment, and that's why you scratch an itch. And intention rose right in the moment, your mind's wandered, your mind wandered, and you intended for it to come back. You can have mental intentions, verbal intentions, and bodily intentions. So that's a mindfulness that's right in the stream of what's happening. And that one is a different kind of intention because it's right in the moment what's happening. The other one is a longer arc intention. And while they kind of play out in the same circuits, um, when people are trying to be mindful of intention, you can see that there are a lot of competing intentions. The mind is fast enough to have... uh, different intentions trying to play out and you can feel intentions kind of pendulum swinging inside of you and then one of them becomes action. I call this to myself the powerball moment where all these balls are bumping around but when you go to open little chamber on top only one sucks in <laughs> and that becomes the intention you act upon. So one really funny way to play with attention is walking. There's a lot more noticeable intentions when you're walking because your body is, and it just takes a much stronger, slower intention to actually come into bodily action. So you're walking and take note, do you always turn left or do you always turn right? Or for where I'm sitting, do you always turn right or left? (laughs) So, and when does your mind make that choice? And you might say, I've never watched that. It just does it. Like, okay, you'd walk into the wall if something didn't intend for you to turn one way or the other. So then you are doing your normal walking practice. And this gets a little tricky because you're walking, but you kind of know a choice is coming up. And then you see, okay, I turned. I always turn one direction. That's the comfortable direction. When does that intention start to take over your action? So you have your preference, but you're walking, it bubbles up, and then it becomes action. And a part of you might say, I can't believe this is spiritual. (laughs) Like there are bigger problems in which way I turn. But you're using this to actually watch intention go from just a powerball, bumping around your mind, competing intentions. And then you say, well, which one's going to win at the point of action? I can see there are all these intentions trying to become action. But in the moment of choice, you will turn left or right or do uh, an Olympic rollover and push off the wall. (laughs) Uh, Wait for the rain because the friction will hurt. So 
we're making these choices, but we usually leave them to unconsciousness and no, no harm, no foul. So a lot of our actions are actually habitual and unexamined. So you can use something like that where you're not trying to watch random intentions come in and uh, hijack your body and you didn't really deliberate very much or watch it. Then you can, next training is, can you go against the intention that's habitual just so you're not uh, uh, feeling indebted to just comfortable old behavior. So then you start turning the other way and you'll feel your mind say, what I thought was just a small choice was actually a pretty fierce preference. So then what does it take to not do that intention? Just light challenging, just to see what that's like. So first we watch our intentions. Then we see if we can challenge them a little bit, not make them automatic. Put a breath or two in between the impulse and the action, just noticing them and then countering them just to see, can I liberate myself so this is actually a choice versus an old habit. Then you can watch the power of all the mind really go crazy because now you actually have liberated the choice. It's not going to be compulsive. It's not going to be forced new direction. Now when you walk, which one is going to win? Well, I see the desire for the old habit. I see the intention for the new habit. One of them is going to win and you can watch one of them win. There was a time when they, at IMS where they put out the miso soup uh, paste as a treat for the late night people. And I was always take a little bit, I'd take a fresh spoon, I'd take a little bit, and I would just eat it straight and walk, drop the spoon off, and that worked for me. But it became habitual. And so when they didn't put out the miso paste, I was disappointed. <laughs> But I was like, where does this lock-in happen? Where, does, where do I actually make the choice? I see the long-term choice. I'm going to have miso paste. But where does it actually get into where my mind has collapsed and it has to do something? So I was walking by the miso paste, saw the desire, was practicing walking by it. But many times if I lowered my guard a little bit, I unconsciously would go back and get a little bit. It's like, wow, I really have to pay attention. And there was this one time where I walked all the way past the miso paste and had this huge sigh of relief. Like, oh my God, I, this is, I've done one thing. <laughs> and this is like the height of my Buddhist practice. If I could walk by the miso paste. And I felt, oh, this is amazing because I'm not actually being compulsively drawn around by these intentions. And in that moment of relaxation, I still had the spoon, but I walked by the pace. I reached way over my shoulder and almost fell, like it was an acrobatic act, and scooped it and put it in my mouth. And I was like, you son of a gun, look at that. <laughs> wow. And it showed me again, I think I'm in the clear, but I'm not, I'm not choosing all these intentions. I'm managing them but they need a lot of management or these other agenda are going to drive me. So there's a lot to learn about how much we've given over to our unconscious mind to get us through the day. And then these intentions are happening, but you really don't move these, uh, uh, these hands. You don't move your limbs. Uh, so most of our intentions are quite uh, benign. They're just getting us through the day and uh, they're fine, but you can still take interest in the amount of little sparking intentions and then watch the ones that cross over into action. And noticing them is one level, being able to breathe between the impulse and the action just to deliberate. Is there anything about this that I actually want to do or don't want to do? Like slapping a bug, old intention. Like, no, actually, that's not how we're going to relate to bugs these days. But I definitely felt if I hadn't been paying attention, I would have harmed somebody. So <clears throat> to be mindful, 
of it, you have to kind of watch it just to get to know the neighborhood of intention. What, what layer of your mind is running intentions? You can watch it in your meditation where you're intending to be with a breath or your anchoring object or your chosen way of being mindful. You'll watch the dedication to that intention droop and then some other more compulsive intention will, will become action. So that's the mind lowering its intention and then being taken. So you can just watch that. Then you see if you can actually challenge old habitual things taking over your mind, taking over your speech, or taking over your body. Just watching it will show you a lot about how amazing this animal is that it can learn all these tricks, do all these tricks to leave what your subjective mind is free to cruise along while all these other unconscious things are happening. But there's a lot of old habit that's actually not helpful. And if you can catch it at the beginning of the intention that's trying to build steam, uh, that's making a case for itself, then it's harder to interrupt on because it already has a, it's already um, argued for itself in your mind and it's been convincing and then it's harder to stop the action. So it's light, be playful with it. <clears throat> uh, probably notice physical intentions uh, a lot. We're slowing down a little bit. A lot of intention making in how you eat a, a meal and you can watch going for the broccoli. Yeah, are we? Uh, if I did it, I would have. <clears throat> but once I saw it and dropped it, yeah, I'm not going for the broccoli anymore. What am I going to go for? Wild. I see all these competing options. But before it was like no options, just broccoli. That <clears throat> sensitivity grows to where you do want to interrupt uh, intentions because they'll come from greed. They'll come from hatred. They'll be just old habit that's hard to interrupt. So start with it in a playful way. Start by taking interest in it. And you do that by staying in your general practice, the general practice of being with your primary uh, object of attention or your primary mode of mindfulness. Still looking at the body, still checking out the Vedana, being aware of mind states, cognitive states that are passing through. That's all still our basic practice. But usually it's when you're doing something like changing the focus of your attention or moving your body around, that checking into intention, immediate intention, um, will show you how intentions become actions. And most of them are not you can do a little governing of the choice, but what comes up is not always of our choice, the intention that's trying to happen. So then we get to be much more choiceful about that. Moving this way, that way, how you eat a meal, a lot of it is uh, already unconsciously programmed in. So a freedom comes and we become much more beneficial to ourselves and others when we can see the intentions trying to happen, slow down on the ones that are driven by greed or hatred, and then see if there's another way to get our needs met that actually are inspired by kindness, by patience, by collective concern. So then our intentions line up with our values. To do this, we take a posture that's kind to our animal body. And you might notice already there's some intention. What posture you take. We allow ourselves to relax in this posture. It's helpful to let go of every previous experience 
So today won't be to repeat. previous experiences, and we can be lightly guided by what we're trying to cultivate. Let's make sure our motivation has mindfulness and wisdom in it, to be patient, to allow a fresh approach to the body, to breath, to sounds a fresh approach to experiencing pleasant and unpleasant and neutral experiences, a fresh curiosity about visiting mind states, emotional states, cognitive states. And now with a very light hand, guide yourself into what's become your go-to mindfulness practice. Aware of your breath, aware of your body, aware of sounds, something a little more open in attention, spacious. And can we invite ourselves to rest in these conditions, in the way this flow of present time experiences is playing out? We are resting in the stream, stream of sounds, breaths, body sensations.
One part of mindfulness practice is to deeply honor what is arising with no agenda other than to rest in the conditions we find ourselves. I'm a little tired today. I slept well. There's some aches in the body. Today the body is calm and happy. Today the body is energetic and restless. I'm annoyed by sounds today. I'm not annoyed by sounds today, at least right now. This is one deep channel of mindfulness to rest in the flow of what's happening while it's happening. there is a second kind of mindfulness where you're aware that the stream that's happening, although you could accept it, there is something you'd like to cultivate. So I'm accepting my mind is floaty. So I'm going to cultivate lightly, more connection with my actual body of sensations. I'm flowing through my experience and I can see that there's restlessness. And I could accept it. I'm going to see if taking a deeper breath simplifying and settling and help reduce some level of this restlessness. I can see that I'm intrigued by a memory or a plan and I could be mindful of that. And I also can redirect my attention back to where my anchor of attention could be. One taste of mindfulness, simple, resting, aware. And then another moment of mindfulness where you welcome a little more alertness by sitting up, a little more relaxation by letting go of tension. Re-inspiring yourself to stay with fairly neutral, ordinary experiences, hearing, breathing.
before you change your posture, notice the intention to change your posture. See if you can breathe a few moments with the urge to change your posture. And then you can watch the permission for that urge to become action. Every time you bring your attention back from a place it has wandered to, that action of redirection is an intention that became a mental action. And you could just lightly expose to yourself wandering mind, realizing, where's that breath steering? There it is. Between the realization that you were lost in thought and the redirection back to the breath, that takes a very light mental intention
usually our intention to be with something calming and subtle, like a quiet room, a quieting body, a subtle breath. That intention weakens and we're more susceptible to some other sense door. And there's a very small, almost imperceptible shift of intention for your mind to go to a different sense door. So you can feel how many breaths does it take before the intention to be with them softens. And can you take interest in, can you take the light in a subtle mindfulness that can notice the intention to be with your breath softening, getting just a little bored as we do with neutral objects. And the delight of a more stimulating experience like sounds, passing thoughts. We highly recommend not getting frustrated by what you're seeing, but take delight in seeing it.
And then lastly, you can use mindfulness to more deeply appreciate a mind that's not caught wrestling with intentions, fighting intentions. When a mind is actually easily contented and so the intention is to enjoy that easy presence when the intention, the bigger intention and your little intentions line up. And you can stay with something simple. And you don't feel stressed by some other agenda. So many of us were in that really smooth, where's an intention, totally get it, bell rings, oh, just this, adjust that, oh, that was really bothering me. (laughs) Or not. And if you weren't, didn't have a rush of unconscious behavior, that's one of the gifts of mindfulness is our behavior without working too hard at it we can feel the underpinning drives in us. We can taste if those drives are beneficial, like, oh, I have a really fun intention to call my family. They'd really appreciate that and that'd be fun. Like, oh, put that one in motion, that's awesome. Or I'm gonna secretly try to get my family to make a decision I want So I'm going to pretend like my intention is to call them out of the blue, but it's a very roundabout way to get what I want. It's like, oh, I see you. You really were telling a good story, but I taste my heart and it's got a secret agenda. So we have some announcements for the day. Then we can uh, see if you have any questions about working with intention or other questions coming up at your practice. So the first thing is a tremendous amount of gratitude from all of us and the staff uh, at Spirit Rock. You all are doing great in how you're taking advantage of being here. So there's a lot of practice integrity, um, a lot of kindness and behavior, um, really giving each other the space to have everybody have their own practice. So. Uh, good job, keep going. One thing that's helpful is 
to refresh our commitment to the precepts because they are feeling maybe automatic and we wouldn't really intentionally harm anybody, intentionally being greedy. But they're still part of our training here. And if you find you're going to cross over one of the precepts, it's another place to watch what's the intention that would have me break or bend these precepts. So there are the general five about not causing harm on that level. But there's also a commitment to silence. So if you do have a friend here, not to write them notes, not to start up a conversation. If you want to engage another student here, we ask you not to, unless it's very rudimentary about just momentary logistics, like during your job, could you hand me the soap or whatever. But beyond that, we're really letting each other have our own space so that we can be as intimate with ourselves as possible. And we're getting collective support in doing that, but not to try to communicate with another uh, student here, either with eye contact, verbal contact, physical contact. Not that we don't love those things in other contexts, but in this context, we really should be letting the other person have their full intimacy with themselves. And if something, if there's a friction about that, please work that out with the retreat coordinators, or if you're struggling with that, you can bring it up with us to how to work with it. But we, it's, you all are so sensitive, you uh, need to hold that line, not to try to problem solve directly with another student. There's a reminder that uh, Spirit Rock is intentionally a scent-free zone because enough people come here with chemical sensitivities that uh, that are really painful when people get triggered by chemical allergies. It can lead to a lot of headaches, body aches. It can start somebody's heart, mind, and body being hard to dysregulate when they get uh, a chemical stimulation. So there's just been, you all are doing really well on that. And there is some awareness that there are still some scents on your clothing. And you may be so used to it that it wouldn't occur to you. Uh, Sometimes, um, like I often come here after visiting my parents and they're, they use a lot of scent in their laundry. And even though I don't use scents, just the fact that their washing machine and dryers are used to it, my clothes will have scents on them. And I'm not particularly aware of it, but I am aware now. So after your clothes just got washed, there should be even less scents you might have brought in with you. Some of the products you might be using might have a scent in them that you're no longer aware of. So just please check in because... Uh, There's an awareness that there are uh, scents on people's clothing. Um, And it's just a light awareness to check in. Maybe look at products you're using if you brought them. And if you have any question about that, you can talk to the retreat coordinators. Um, Not to make everybody on edge, but the impact is uh, hard on the person who... uh, ends up being affected by these chemical scents. That, if you have any question about that, the retreat coordinators can help clarify. You all are doing really well with masks, and I know, we know it's not comfortable to meditate all day long in the hall wearing masks. So sometimes people in their meditation are not aware their masks have gone down. There again, we don't want another yogi to tell that yogi, uh, another student tell that yogi about their mask, work it out with the coordinators. And there is something about reality as we try our best and these things still happen. And if someone's uh, mask is unconsciously falling down, uh, again, write the retreat coordinators and we'll see what we can do uh, because it's still necessary for our health that we all wear our masks, even though we know that it's challenging. There actually is someone in our community because of a a 
chronic ailment that they're working with, they actually can't breathe with a mask on. It's not only uncomfortable as it is for all of us, it actually would mean that they would have to leave the retreat because of a long-term health condition. So we've, we've allowed that person while they're in the hall to open their mask up just a little bit so that they can get more fresh air in. So if you, <clears throat> if you feel you need that, you could ask us. We ask most people not to do it. But the need of this one uh, community member is a, a medical stress that would mean they couldn't be here. And we want to find a way to be as inclusive as possible, especially around ability uh, concerns. So you might see someone who's not wearing their mask. You could talk to the retreat coordinators about that. You might also open your heart just a bit for what it's like for someone to have such a background uh, thing to work with around primary health and breathing and to help them be here, we've given them that, that option. So <clears throat> there's a big activity happening in the lower community hall today. So both affinity sits today are going to be in the upper walking hall, back where the stairs are, go up, and same time. Uh, but just for today, the LGBTQI and the BIPOC sits same time will be up in the upper walking hall. Today, May will be sitting in with me on the practice meetings. And again, you have the choice. May would be happy to step out if you wanted. The late night, the late night practice uh, with possibly better cookies. <laughs> it's happening tomorrow night. I only say possibly, so you won't be too disappointed by whatever cookies come, they come. But last week we did it on Friday, and this week we're doing it. I say we. <laughs> Those who are doing the late night practice are going to do it tomorrow night, Saturday night. We have uh, days off on Saturday and Sunday, different people. So when you see the interviews, uh, the practice meetings put up, you'll, if you were meeting with one of us, if you're meeting with some of us, it'll either happen on Saturday or Sunday. So if you feel like you should be seen tomorrow, it's possibly that you're being seen on Sunday, depending on when we take the days off. And then lastly, uh, Today is our last full day with May in our community. May came for the two weeks, and maybe we'll have to leave tomorrow, but just so you're not shocked tomorrow when she says her goodbyes, uh, so you can hold May in your heart. And then if you were waiting until May was going to leave to ask May about something, <laughs> Uh, today is the day to do that, but only if it's necessary. If it feels necessary, check the intention to see if it's actually necessary. And then we'll have another teacher come, teacher in training come named uh, Francisco. And he's coming on Sunday. So those are the announcements. Do you have any questions about your practice? working with intention or other parts of your practice. Yeah. And thanks, Don. My name is Eleni. Um, thank you, Temple, for the beautiful uh, guided meditation. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, striving, mm. the difference between striving and um, 
wholesome, uh, wholesome Dhamma Chanda, Dhamma yearning, um, and how maybe we can practice with this at the level of intention. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great question. And that does come up in the investigation around intention. So <clears throat> I like to use the word for long arc intentions as aspiration, because I may not get to where I'm going, but I'm guided by an aspiration. So to have aspirations in practice are necessary, otherwise we wouldn't have the motivation to practice. So there has to be room for this word chanda. There's wholesome chanda, wholesome aspirations, wholesome aspirations to come to this retreat, sort of longer arc aspirations. And wholesome aspirations guide and give some heading to what momentary intentions should be. If your long-term aspiration puts you at odds with the present, then it's striving and you'll suffer the striving of it. So you can be clear on your aspiration, but you learn the way to get to that aspiration is by resting in the present moment, very lightly guided by the long-term aspiration. So going to go down to lunch, long-term aspiration. The way I do that is I don't fixate on my goal. I actually stand up with presence. I take a step with presence. Striving in practice can be uh, beautiful in terms of I have an aspiration, I'm going to really put the energy in, where it ends up uh, being against our practice, tangled in suffering, tangled in identity, tangled in craving, is when the present moment isn't good enough for the striving you have in mind. Now there's the not good enough in terms of, okay, I'm suffering, it is not what my aspiration is, Therefore, I would like to make a difference. I'm going to see if I can make a difference. But there's an, there's an honoring and a meeting of the present. And what happens with striving is that the present moment is just a vehicle. It's, there's, the present moment is not special. The present moment is something you're plowing through to get to your goal. And that's where you can taste the striving even though it does bring in effort and courage, it begins to undermine the ability to be present because uh, it's too locked in on its goal. So this is, as you all get softer and more tender, the difference between the mindfulness that rests in things as they are, that can be content with one breath with no greater ambition, that's very present oriented. It's resting right in the moment. If you don't have any larger aspiration, the the present moment can go this way and that way. And so a wisdom factor does come in and say, okay, I'm with the present moment, but it doesn't have the factor of samadhi in it. I'm noticing that it's not very collected. So not making an enemy out of the present, but I'm going to welcome in the intention to be more focused. Right in that relationship is whether it's striving, condemning of the present, preferring something that's not happening, or I'm honoring the present, aware of the present, and I'm allowed to have some influence. I'm allowed to make a choice of cultivation. That can seem like Well, either you're accepting the present moment or you're trying to make it better. Both are possible in that uh, if you're on the river, you're floating on the river, you're good with the river, but that river is flowing you towards a rock. You could say, it's not against the river. I see where it's headed. I'm just going to do a little one-side rowing and then re-correct. So I stay in the channel because I want to cultivate being in the stream. Often the aspiration, when it's clear enough to you, it doesn't have to be a driving aspiration. 
you can let go of it because the intentions start lining up so much with the momentary intentions start lining up with your larger intention that you don't have to keep reminding yourself the goal you're headed to. You get a sense, this is the way. You're all Mandalorians. This is the way. <laughs> if you, only a couple, yeah. Maybe better that you don't get that reference. But <laughs> the Buddha also has a way. And the way of all development is resting in the present that still has some room for cultivation. So a gardener, if you really love gardening, you love the soil and you love the stage where the seed goes in. If you love that, if you're like, I do not love this, I will only love its outcome. I do not, I'm frustrated by this. I'm frustrated with you plant until there's a tomato. <laughs> I see where you're going, it's still not good enough. See where you're going. Not good enough. Okay, little green tomato, you're getting there, but I'm still disappointed. Okay, today you please me because there's a tomato. You love every moment and there's still cultivation. There's still something happening. But if you don't get a tomato out of it, you've loved every moment and the tomato didn't come. So you're, you're not setting yourself up for suffering. Hopefully somewhere in the bucket of competing images and all sorts of directions that somewhere in that bucket is something you could assemble into a satisfying answer to your question. <laughs> it's like I gave you a Lego set of answers and you get to build one that actually works for you. <laughs> okay, everybody, have a day. And watch, you will have a day. <laughs>